0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, The Sacred Life. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. If you're just joining us, the sermon series that we're in, now. typically we go through books of the Bible. And we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And honestly, that's what I enjoy. And that's what I think is the best way to teach and the best way to preach and the most uh, beneficial for the body. Uh, Preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. But uh, we came out of the book of Mark over a year and a half, about a year and a half long study. And we're going into the book of Exodus at the end of the summer. And so we wanted to spend a few months here tackling some important topics. And what we're doing right now Uh, This sermon series is called The Sacred Life. And the sacred life is, sacred literally means devoted to God. And so the sacred life is a life that is devoted to God and lived in a close relationship with Him. This is the life that we were all born to live. We were all created by God to live in communion and to live close, and to live sacred to him, and that's what will make us happy, and that's what will make us holy, and that's what will fulfill our life and give us meaning. That this life, this sacred life, is really meant to be a life of happiness and fulfillment. This sacred life is meant to be a life of adventure and creativity. It's meant to be a life full of meaning and depth and substance. It's a life of vulnerability and love. And what I know is that everyone in this room, deep down, desires this type of life. Everyone in our city, deep down, desires this kind of life. It's what we were made for. And all of us then want to know how to get it. How can I get this deep this kind of deeply connected, truly meaningful spiritual life that gives me resilience and joy and hope in my everyday life. And let me tell you, this kind of life doesn't just happen. And you don't just, if I think of this, oh, I got to go to church. That's how I get this life. You know what? My life, it's not resilient. I'm really emotionally up and down, and I see some people and they get so spiritual and so connected and they get such a vibrancy from their faith, but I'm kind of dead and lifeless. I'll just go to church. I'm sorry to tell you, but going to church, it might point you to the answer, but it's not the answer. And if your faith, if you really look at your life and your faith is really, the only thing I can tell about you is what you do on Sunday, okay, you're not experiencing the sacred life. You're not experiencing this life that's deeply, that changes the motivational patterns of your heart, that changes you from the inside out. If, all, if the only difference between you and your neighbor is you go to church, you're not experiencing the sacred life. So today we're going to talk about how do I get it, kind of. Part of it, we're going to talk about this. How do I get this sacred life, this whole life lived before the throne of God in communion and connection with him and have this deeply meaningful experience in my everyday life. Now, what's interesting is you do a quick Amazon search, right? This is what I usually do when I want to study a topic, right? First thing I do, I text a few guys if they know any books. Then I go to Amazon, type it in. You do a quick Amazon search. You're going to get more than enough books to last you a lifetime. There are a million how-to books on how to live a good, meaningful, and happy life. And what I noticed, and I've read many of them, what I've noticed is all of these books, these how-to books, have something in common. And it's this, all of the power in those books, it all rests on us. They are all basically saying the same thing. If you want this deeply spiritual, deeply meaningful life, do this. That's their basic premise. The good life is up to you. Do it. Anytime you see a book, five steps to easy parenting, Some of you have read that book, probably. Three steps to a meaningful spiritual relationship. Three steps to a great marriage. Three steps to connecting to your spirit animal, whatever it is. <laughs> There's some weird ones out there. They're all saying the basically the same thing. Listen, if you want change, do this. Now, here's the problem. Listen to this. Listen to this. I think churches have a gospel problem because I think that same message is preached in churches all across our city and all across our world, and it's a completely different doctrine. It's a completely different gospel. You want a relationship with God? Do this. You want a meaningful spiritual life? Do this. Here's three steps to prayer and three steps to this and three steps to that, and it's anti-gospel. Now, why do I get fired up about that? Because I've read a lot of those five-step books. And I have a, per- listen, here, here's, here's what happens. Now, how you feel about, here, here's what, you want to change your life? Do it. You want to be different? Do it. How you feel about that, how you react to that is probably based a little bit on how you're wired in your personality. Some of us read these books and we go, yes. And we feel empowered in the moment. We're like, that's all I got to do to be a great dad? Yes, I can do it. Oh, that's all I got to do to connect deeply with God? One Step one, step two, step three? Yes, I can do it. And we feel strangely empowered. All you got to do to have a deep life is X, Y, Z every day. Now, if you're disciplined enough, and you're committed enough, you might be able to keep that up for a long time, doing XYZ every day for a long time. But if you do, two things will happen to you. One, you'll become proud. First, you'll become proud and less compassionate. What do I mean by that? See, Once you start doing X, Y, Z every day to improve your life and to make you feel better and to live a deeply more meaningful life, you'll begin to look down on other people that aren't doing X, Y, and Z. And you'll be thinking like, if you want to fix your life, just do X, Y, and Z. It's really easy. Just do it like me. And so you begin to look down on people who aren't praying, who aren't reading, who aren't connecting, who aren't doing all these things, this X, Y, Z, you begin to look down on them. And here's what also happens. When you begin to look down on them, you become less compassionate towards them. You don't come alongside them as a fellow sufferer, as a fellow sinner, as a fellow struggler. You look down on them like, all you got to do is X, Y, Z. But here's what's also true. You don't just become less compassionate to others. You become less compassionate to yourself. You miss a day. Dang it. I didn't do X, Y, Z today. You miss a week. You're an idiot. You're, what's wrong with you? No wonder your life is so messed up. You're not doing. See, this is, this is what happens. You become proud and less compassionate as a person something else happens too. If you're the doer, if you're the guy that wants to read the books and the guy that wants to read the books and wants to put it in action, something else happens. When you're good at doing the steps and you're good at doing X, Y, Z, you get busier. But if you're honest, you don't get much happier. You don't really get that deep desire and that deep heart level connection that you're looking for, that depth you're looking You get busy. You're doing a lot of good things. And then what happens when you get busy? Well, this is the law of diminishing returns. You keep doing X, Y, Z, but its effect begins to wear off. Your happiness begins to fade. Your spirituality begins to weaken. And what do you do? Well, what do you do? Well, like what anybody does is you go back and get another book. So now I I read a new book on spirituality, on getting deep with God, and now what I do is I don't throw the old book away. I keep that in the reserves of my mind. So I still got X, Y, and Z I have to do, but now I have A, B, and C I have to do too. So now I'm doing X, Y, Z, I'm doing A, B, C, and all I gotta do is keep this up every day for a long time to live a happy life. Well, hopefully you can see what this is. This becomes a life Of slavery. You are a slave to constantly trying something new to make you feel better. You are a slave to fads. You become a slave to gimmicks. You become a slave to knowledge. One more book, one more trick, one more tip, and I'm finally going to feel what I'm looking for spiritually. But see, what's interesting for me is this all comes back. Now listen, the the churches kind of have this like Christianized version of this, but this all comes back to this prevalent belief in our culture. If you want to change, it's up to you. Do it. You have the power. Make it happen. Now, This belief creates an addiction to our own performance. We are always trying to do better and be better, and yet we never feel like we arrive. See, the good life or the deeply connected life is always almost here, but we never get it. We're honest. We look at our life, how happy are we? How fulfilled are we? How connected are we? If we were honest and you're busy and you're doing the ABC and the XYZ and you're trying to make it happen, if you really had enough time to pause and stop, which most of us don't, we would realize, I don't know if I am living a good life. I don't know if I am living a deep, meaningful life. I don't know if I am happy. I'm so busy, I don't think about it. See, this addiction ultimately leads us to disappointment. But some of you are like, who are these psychos you're talking about? For those of you who are less disciplined, and you read a a book, no, wait, you don't read a book. Uh, You watch a YouTube clip. And you learn, oh, this motivational speaker, All oh, he said, I just got to do it A, B, every day. I got to wake up in the morning and look at myself and tell me, all oh, I got to do that, and then I'll live a meaningful life. I'll make an impact in my culture. But you've tried it once, and it didn't work. Or you said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to tell myself, you're somebody. You can do it. I'm going to look at myself, I'm going to convince myself, and then I'm going to go out and do it. And it worked for a day. And then the next day, snooze alarm. Right? Or you got the book or somebody in your mission or community or some friend handed you like three steps to the perfect parent and you read it and all you felt was condemnation. Three steps perfect. All you have to do is wake up an hour early all you have to do is respond out of love when your child's pulling on your leg. Oh, that's it. All you have to do is keep a clean house. All you have to do is make a perfect dinner. All you have to You hear these things, a b c x y z and you hear another thing i can't do and you it convinces you of your own insecurity of your own inability to do ABC, your own inability to change, you read these books and it actually makes you feel worse. So what do you do? What do we do? You got the performers who are addicted to it, book after book after book, Degree after degree after degree, promotion after promotion after promotion, new things all the time, trying to be some spiritual gimmicks to feel connected. And then you got other people that just quit. And they look at us, other doers, like we're completely crazy. And then I just give up. I don't know what to do. See, we all want this connected life. We all want to be happy. We all want the sacred life. Our culture says, You got the power, do it. You have the power in yourself. That leads to pride if you do think, or it leads just to defeat if you're like, I don't have the power. I feel like a failure. It all comes to this the good life is up to you, do it. Now, listen. I mean, everything you see on TV, from like, everything about Oprah. This is Oprah's message, okay? You got the power, connect to the power, do it. Nearly every self-help book you find in the bookstore, this is under it. This is the, the presupposition underneath everything it's teaching. You have the power, do it. It's up to you. Well, Thankfully, and what I want to talk about today, this sacred life is not like that. It's different. The sacred life is a life that is given to us. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn or achieve or make happen. There are no steps to a sacred life. The sacred life as a gift has to be received. But obviously, as any good gift, right? Who would want to get a gift and then not use it, right? Like if you gift, if the Lord is working in your heart and you want to gift me a motorcycle... I will thank you for that motorcycle. I will receive that motorcycle. And then, out of joy, I will ride that motorcycle. If my wife lets me. And my mom lets me. Let me say that. But listen so, this sacred life is a gift that is given, but it's not a gift that you take and you sit it down and you never use it. It's a gift that you receive and you take in and then you live out of it. Our culture says the good life is up to you, do it. Listen, Christianity says the good life is up to God, and here it is. Will you receive it? Will you open up and receive it and then use it every day? culture, the good life is up to you and your power, God and the gospel. The good, the good life and the sacred life is up to God and it's up to his power. Now, that might sound really simple and it is, in a sense, really simple, but the implications or the effects of believing that are unbelievable. See, when I'm living like my happiness and my Ability to create a good life is up to me. I become driven by the constant voice telling me, You're not quite there. Do more, more, be better. And that is exhausting. It's literally living your life on a never ending treadmill. You're on a treadmill, and one mile, and like down the road, you see a sign that says the good life right here. And you're running on the treadmill. And what do you basically do? I gotta run faster. No matter how fast you run, you're not getting any closer to the good life. You're just getting a whole lot more exhausted. And here's the reality. How does that affect your relationships? You ever had to try to talk to somebody while they're sprinting? I, I do CrossFit. People try to talk to me during workouts. What are you doing? Every breath is just trying to save my life right now. My heart is going to explode. I need oxygen. I don't want to speak to you. Many of you, this is your life. You wonder why you're not living a deeply connected, deeply meaning, meaningful spiritual life because you're on a treadmill running full speed. And so your, relate, your connections and your relational relationships are like talking to someone who's on a treadmill. Short, quick, to the point, business. Got one, I got one-liners, that's all I got for you. How are you feeling? Tired, obviously, Exhausted, out of breath, wondering if I'm going to make it. Christianity takes us off the treadmill. You're on the treadmill. This kind of life, do more, be better, you're never quite there. This leads to breakdowns, this leads to nervous breakdowns, this leads to adrenal failure, this leads to burnout, this leads to moral failure. Just look for an excuse to blow your marriage up. You just look for some out. Leads to addictions. Why? You're sprinting. Nobody can enjoy their life. You know what's fun about sprinting? It being over. When you watch the Olympic, the girls that just broke the Olympic record this week, they're not having fun while they're flying down that track. Their faces don't look like they're having fun. They start slowing down, boom, smiles come on their face. What's fun about sprinting is stopping. That's what's fun about sprinting. Some of you, you're not enjoying your life because you're on a treadmill and you're sprinting and that's not an enjoyable life. And you can't connect deeply with God or with other people while you're sprinting. It's impossible. We see this in the life of Jesus, man. Jesus was, and now listen, I know it. See, people like, people like me who get addicted to this kind of stuff, when they hear something like this, they're like, what do you want me to do, just sit around all day? I gotta do stuff, Justin. Can't just go stare at the river all day. Look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus was busier than you. He was saving the world. How would you like that to-do list when you wake up in the morning? Let me see. There's gonna be a demoniac gonna show up, cast out some demons. Heal some people, teach some things, multiply bread. Then die on a cross for the world's sins. And, res- and listen, don't just stay dead. But continue your work after death and get up. Some of us look forward to dying. Oh, my to-do list will be over. Jesus still had stuff to do. Get up, you're not done yet. Okay. Okay. But what did he do? Listen, he's busier than you. He had more things to accomplish than you, more important things to accomplish than you, and yet often, daily, more than likely, he'd go to the desert. They'd wake up. Where's Jesus? We need him. We got stuff he needs to do, and he's not to be found. He's experience, experiencing rest, deep connection with the Father. He's busy. He has a lot to do but he knows he needs to get away from it all and get off the treadmill and experience this sacred life with God. See, when I live out of the sacred life, I experience rest, true soul rest. That means a mind and a will and emotions that are at peace even when my life is chaotic. Even when death comes into my life or family or bad experiences and a loss of a job or or just the uh, relational problems that happen when we live in community with people, if I'm experiencing the sacred life, if I'm living out of the sacred life, I can experience a deep rest in the midst of these things. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4 when he says, I have learned... In whatever situation I am, to be content, content. He says, "I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing of facing plenty and hunger or abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's not, he ain't talking about scoring touchdowns there. He's talking about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I all things. Contentment. I can step off the treadmill and stop earning. I can enjoy my life right where I am, whether there's a lot or a little. Paul's writing this in prison, by the way, not on a Mediterranean beach, right? That was, that's what I'm talking about. You on a Mediterranean beach, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me today. But you're talking about a, you're talking about a prison cell where he's writing this. What's he saying? He has an emotional life that isn't determined by a circumstance. He has a deep connection, spiritual life. That isn't determined by what's going on around him. Paul is saying, "Here's the secret to the sacred life. It's not in your power. it's in the power of Jesus that's given to us in the gospel. Now another way to say that, way that we say it around here more often, is that God gives us, as free gifts, new identities. That he changes us deep inside into something new, and now out of that identity, we find a new power, we find a new peace, we find a new resiliency. Listen, God changes us on the inside first. We get new identities, and then out of these identities, we now live Differently, this is, ba- this is the opposite of what the culture says to do. The old, old culture says, here's new rhythms, do them, you'll be a new person. God in the gospel and Christianity says, here's a new identity, it's a gift to you, now live out of that identity. Let me go to our text today. It's been a while, sorry. Second Corinthians 5. I want to show this to you in a couple of different places if I can. Second Corinthians five, verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say new creation with me. New creation. Or it's actually in the Greek, it's actually new creature. Okay, new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, listen what Paul is telling us here is is different than any other religion on the face of the planet and it's different from what our culture teaches us. He's saying God has given through the gospel, through Jesus, us, when you believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross in our place for our sins, when we put our faith and our trust in that and actually believe that, not just say it like a parrot, you could teach a parrot to say it, and a parrot is not, does not get a new identity. But when you lean on it like this, like I'm leaning on this pulpit right now and I put all my weight on it, what he's saying is this. You get a new identity. You become a new creation. You become a new creature. You're different. Your old life is gone and your new life has come. And that word, that, that new creation, what it's talking about is what happened to Jesus in the resurrection. Jesus comes back. Death can no longer take him. He's got a new body, resurrected body. He's different. He's no longer the same. That happens to every person who becomes a Christian. Now listen, if you think Christianity is about doing better and trying harder, you can never become a new creation on your own. Sometimes I ask people, are you a Christian? And they'll say, I'm trying. You don't understand what it means then at all. If you think Becoming a Christian or being a Christian is about trying and about becoming something you don't know. It's about receiving something, totally new creation. My old flesh is dead. My new life has come. Now, does that mean this new creation doesn't struggle with sin? Absolutely not. While I live in this body, I deal with my flesh. I deal with sin. I deal with struggles. I deal with doubts. I deal with unbelief. But it doesn't change the fact that we're new. Being a Christian, becoming Christian. Christianity is not about being better. It's about being new. New creation. Now, I don't think some of us are going. yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Christianity 101, Justin. Thanks for that. I think many people are, they they say this like the parrot or whatever. Is that the bird that you teach? No. Whatever the, Yeah. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. I have a new identity in Christ. The old creation, the old me is gone. The new creation has come. But they don't really believe it. They don't haven't put their weight on it. See, most people think that being a Christian is a lot like being an athlete or being a mom or being a doctor or being an accountant. All of those things must be earned and achieved. You must earn them. Now, why do I say, I think most people are like that. For one, if I say this, what do you do? You know what I'm really saying is kind of who are you? I, I want to know your identity. So when I say what do you do, you, like if we really just ask that question, like what do you do? that would really be an ignorant question. Actually, I do a lot of things every day. But when I say, what do you do? You respond with, I'm an accountant. I'm a doctor. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm an athlete. See, our doing creates an identity for us. I think most of us think of that as Christianity is the same progression. And what's interesting about all these things, listen, All of these identities that we build, being an athlete, whatever it is, they're so fragile. They're so fragile. They take so much work to build, to create. Got to go to school, many of them. Got to give birth for some of them. But listen, they're so fragile. They can be taken from us at any moment. One lawsuit, you could lose your license. One injury, you're no longer an athlete. Or just you get old and you used to be an athlete. Even being a mom. I know in Christ, it can be eternal, but our children can be taken from us. See, all these identities are so fragile. And many of us live like our Christianity is like that too. Like our identities in Christ are like that too. They could be taken from us. If I fail, I'm no longer in the family or I'm no longer good, I'm no longer righteous, I'm no longer in Christ. Why? Because we think our behaviors create our identities. What we do determines who we are. But that's backwards to Christianity. Paul says, in Christ, we are a new creation. Jesus' works determine who we are. Jesus's obedience determines my identity, not my obedience, not my behavior. Jesus's works are counted for me. My new identity is based upon Jesus's obedience and performance, not my own. And therefore, it can never be lost. You, if you are in Christ, if you've, placed your faith in Christ, you have been made right with God because of Jesus. That means everything you need has already been taken care of and it isn't up to you or your performance. You can get off the treadmill. As a song, a hymn says, you can lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. You don't have to keep trying to, to earn an identity any longer. Our culture desperately needs this. Some of you, many of you, your identity is based upon how many likes on Facebook you get. Your identity is based on what kind of clothes you're wearing, how big your house is, what neighborhood it's in, what you drive. You're not happy. You're shallow, and you know it. And the answer isn't to just keep trying and keep earning and keep moving forward. The answer is get off the treadmill Experience the rest of God. Receive this identity and live out of this identity. Now, what does it mean? What what is this identity? We say at Sacred City, there's basically four big pieces to the identity that you've been given by Jesus in the gospel. We say there's the identity of family, missionaries, servants and learners. And that's kind of big and been through our membership process. You probably understand that a little bit. God makes us family. God makes us missionaries. God makes us servants. God makes us learners. Constantly learning, discipling, making disciples. Now, if you weren't here last week, you need to listen to the sermon because Sam preached on our identities as family and it was phenomenal. And you need If you weren't here, you need to get that and you need to watch that and you need to listen to that because I think just understanding our identities as families is going to, can radically change our lives. We begin to live out of this new identity that that God's given us, with God as as our father, a kind, gentle, safe, loving father with Jesus as our older brother, with each other, brothers and sisters of Christ, living in a community, living in a family together. God's given us this to live as family. Now, today I'm supposed to be talking about our identities as missionaries, and the reason I've spent however long I spent 40 minutes talking about our identities first is because most of us, if I get up here and I say, "Here's we're called to be on mission. We're called to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples." Here's what most of us want, or here's what some of us have had. Here's five steps to being a good missionary. Some of you will take a few of those and you'll feel good about yourself. Most of you will just feel condemned, feel ashamed, be frustrated that you're not good missionaries. And so I wanted to build this identity piece out to you, and I'm still going to build it out a little bit farther because I want you to understand that you have been gifted, and made into missionaries. We're not telling you go act, go be a missionary, go act like a missionary, go earn missionary status. We're saying you are a missionary, and the reality is you're a good one or you're not. You're, if you're in Christ, you're a missionary. Now, we can be free in the gospel because my works aren't determining right, my righteousness. I can be good to say, hey, I, I'm not a good missionary. I'm actually a poor missionary. I need Christ to help me live out of this new identity and become a better missionary. That's what we're gonna, I'm gonna spend the next 10 minutes, if I can, talking about that. Look at verse, and why? Why do I talk about that? Look at verse 18, where we're at. So I'm just gonna start back over, verse 17. There, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now stop. Many of us, oh great, I'm a new creation. Brand new. Get to go do what I want now. Thank you, Jesus, for my personal relationship with Jesus. I'm a new creation. Now I can go do whatever I want. Look what Paul says. That's not what he says. Look what he says. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God who through Christ, look at this, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I was an enemy of God. Paul literally was Saul. He was killing Christians. The resurrected Jesus came down from heaven, knocked him off his horse, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus Christ. Jesus blinds him, flips the script on his life, Saul was so antagonistic to Christianity, trying to snuff it out, trying to kill Christians. God saves him, flips the script, and then what? He reconciles him to God and then gives him the ministry of reconciliation. What's that saying? I like it like this. I said it last night. God is like a spiritual tornado. He never sucks us in without sending us out. God saves Saul, changes his identity, gives, makes him into Paul, sends him out. God reconciles him, then gives him the ministry of reconciliation. Let me say it like this. God is on mission to Saul, changes Saul, sends Saul back out as Paul now on mission. This isn't the only place this happens. 1 Peter 2, listen to this. But you... Well, maybe that was just for Paul. God did that for Paul. You know, Paul was like this elite special forces Christian. I'm just like a normal Christian, right? I'm just a normal person, right? Trying to keep chaos at bay in my home. Listen, what we have here. But you are a chosen race. He's not saying. He's not talking about apostles anymore. He's not talking about me and my. He's saying you. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's all identity language. That's all, this is who God's made you now. You are new. You are a new creation. You have new identities. But look, look, look. That, why did he do this? Why did he change your identities? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word proclaim, it's the only time in the New Testament that that Greek word is used and it means to make known and to show forth. It doesn't just mean to preach. It means to like declare. It means to like show. So Peter's saying there, God's called you out of the darkness into his light. He's given you new identities and he's sent you out on mission to make him known. This is gospel doctrine. You've been saved and sent. Do you know that? Do you know why you live in the neighborhood you live in? Do you know why you work where you work? Do you know why you go to that coffee shop where you go to that coffee shop? You're sent there. You've been saved and sent the same gospel that brings us in, sends us out. Now, what's interesting, that might be new information for you, you might understand that, you might get that, but think about the way God has saved us. See why are we a family? Because God is a family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit as a trinity, he's a family in and of himself. But what kind of family? Is it a family that just sits around and stares at each other? Cuz you know that we can make an idol out of our family. We've got a nice little house and we bring all of our family in and we just sit around and look at our family, we just love each other and this just keep the bad world out. We'll just It's not the kind of family God is. Listen. We say around here, God is a missional God. That means God has a mission. God, in his family, wanted people to know him, wanted creation to know him. So God creates. God creates us. This family has a mission. And what does that look like? God creates Adam and Eve. Things go well for a little bit. Adam and Eve sin. They're cursed. All of creation is cursed. They're sent out. And then many years later, what does God do? God chooses a family. God chooses a new man in Abraham, and he gives Abraham this new mission. Live in my ways. Live this sacred life, and other people will look in and want to know me. See, God has this mission to be known and loved and worshiped. And so God's, because God has a mission, God has a family. And then what does God do? Ultimately, this family fails. Israel, right? Israel fails over and over and over. You read the Old Testament, lots of failures. What does God do? This is called, the in Latin, there's a word called the missio dei. It's called the mission of God. God sends the son. The father sends, sends the Son to this earth to live the perfect, sacred life that none of us can live. And many of us want to go, well, thank you, Jesus, that's so good. But that's not it. Jesus is resurrected, goes to the right hand of the Father, and what does Jesus do? Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The Spirit fills the believers, changes their identities, right? And then what happens? He says, go. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit send the church that every single believer that receives the gospel is sent out on mission wherever you go. Now, That means, what does that mean? The implications of that. This is it, I'm closing in a second. The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church, okay? Therefore, mission, hear me, isn't something we do. It's who we are. We are God's missionary people. I want you to put that. Will you put a slide up for me, bud? Listen, this is most of us, I can't step over there because the video. Most of us, that the diagram on the left, when I talk about being missionaries and I talk about living on mission, most of us think that's what I'm talking about. That's my life and all those little dots on the outside. That's all the stuff I have to do on a weekly basis. And Justin, you're telling me I need to be on mission? I need to be a missionary? Some of you, you just thought missionaries went overseas. You didn't know you were called to live like a missionary. How can I add that to my life? thats exa- I don't have any time. I'm on the treadmill already, and you're just giving me something else. Here, juggle while you're on the treadmill how can I add mission to my life? I just ain't got time for that. That's not what I'm calling you to. That's life plus mission. I'm calling you to see your life as mission. You are a missionary. That means everything. See, these are our rhythms at Sacred City. Listen, celebrate, eat, bless, recreate. This is what we do. Why? Because this is what we already do. You already are going to have a birthday party for your kids. Invite your missional community. Invite your neighbors. Invite unbelievers. That's doing it like a missionary and family. Listen to the barista who wants to tell you her life story, who wants to tell her just about her bad breakup that she just had. Listen. Take a moment. Now, listen. You can't do that if you're eight minutes late, can you? 8 minutes late 8 minutes late to the next thing dance recital's coming up I'm late you don't have time to listen like a missionary eat I'll tell you what I know y'all eat I know everybody in this room eats many of us three meals a day what do I mean to eat like a missionary how about one meal a week with somebody who doesn't know Christ Really? How about instead of going to your car to listen to K-Love, you actually stayed in the break room and ate with the unbelievers in, the, in there? Maybe once a week. I know I'm crazy. I'm not trying to hate on your K-Love. Well, I am kind of. This is life as mission. When I say, like, we want to live on mission, I'm not wanting to add anything to your life. I'm just wanting you to do the things that you're already doing like a missionary. Guys, we are the carriers of the gospel. We are the ones sent into our world to change our cities for Jesus Christ. Now, he's ultimately sovereign over that, but he uses us to do it. We're sent as missionaries to do it, and it's not something we have to earn. I'm not telling you, you know, to earn this status or earn this identity. I'm saying it's been given to you. Live out of it. There's joy in it. I'm gonna tell you, many of you have never led someone to Christ. You have never, you know, seen somebody come to church and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. And I'm saying you're missing out. It's difficult. It's, you know, time-consuming, but it's beautiful and it's brilliant, and it just makes you come alive when you see that happen. And you're not experiencing the reality of Christianity. Listen to what Richard Lovelace, a guy who wrote, he wrote, reads, wrote on revival and he wrote this book called The Dynamics of a Spiritual Life. Listen to what he says. Please hear this. In order to experience normal spirituality, now I'm gonna say that's the sacred life. Please hear this. In order to experience normal spirituality, Christians must go with Jesus Christ into mission. They must depend on him to direct and empower in this and they must give and take sustenance in community with the members of his body. You know what he's saying right there? We say it like this around here. The only way to make disciples and to be a disciple is in community and on mission. It's the only way to do it. If you're bored in your Christianity, you're not living it. You're not living out of the identities God's given you. You're not. got to get out there. You're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. Don't think you've got to have things put together. You don't have to have things put together. You're going to sin. You're going to hurt people. You're going to say the wrong things. You're going to embarrass yourself. Your identity's not in your works. Your identity's in Christ. He's going to do the work through you. Sometimes it's really simple. If I was gonna Now I did all that, so this is my last thing. I can give you three steps. It's this easy. Build relationships with people outside the church. Talk about Jesus. Step two. Please hear me. Some of you think you're living on mission just because you're going and having a beer and smoking a cigar and hanging out and doing cool things. No, no, no. Talk about Jesus. Give a reason for the hope that you have. Share the gospel. Or display it, serve, bake bread. Why did you do that for me? Because Christ has served me, so I want to serve you. Christ has blessed me, so I want to bless you. Display the gospel. And third, so one, build relationships, with those outside the church. Two, share the gospel of Talk about Jesus. Three, introduce them to community. You, you're not on your own. It's not you trying to do this thing. Introduce them to your missional community. Introduce them to, what we call a third space around here, right? Like they can, maybe come to the gathering, may come to the missional community, but maybe it's a birthday party or maybe it's some other time you're, half your is getting together or some guys are going fishing or some, this, this. introduce them to community. You want steps? There's your Steps. Right? It's it's as simple as that and it's up to the sovereignty of God but I want us all to be living out of this identity, not on the treadmill, with deep soul rest and inviting others into it and I think that's how God's going to change our city. I think he's already been doing it in small ways. We want to see him do it in greater and greater ways. Now I want you to think about this. God has a mission, and he sends his son Jesus to save us. He sucks us into the family, and then he sends us out, just like Jesus, to be on mission. It's a spiritual tornado. If you believe he saved you, believe he sent you, Believe the Spirit's empowered you to live on mission right where you are. I pray. Father, anytime we talk about evangelism or sharing our faith or being on mission, there can be a lot of guilt. We feel inadequate. We feel we don't have the tools. We feel we don't know what to say. We feel like we don't know what to do. And so we rely on your Holy Spirit and we want to lean into the identity you gave us. We are missionaries. You've given it to us already. And you know we're not great. The gospel tells us we're lost. We can't do it on our own. We're not justified by our works. And so we lean into that And we say, help us believe Jesus was the perfect missionary for us. And so we're free to be imperfect missionaries. But God, send us out with such joy in what Jesus has done for us and what the Father has done for us that we can't help but share it. That we confess that we don't believe the gospel We don't believe that you've sent us out on mission. We don't believe that we have the message of reconciliation and that there's a world that's actually going to hell if we don't share that gospel. We don't believe that. If we believed it, we would live differently in our city right now. We don't believe we're the only one sent to that friend that we have or we're the only one sent to that barista or we're the only one sent to that coworker. We don't believe it. Help our unbelief, Father. Help us believe that you have a mission and therefore we exist. We say we don't have time for mission, but in reality, time only exists because you have a mission. When the last person comes to faith, there will be no more time, time will be gone. Time is meant to serve your mission. And I pray that our lives would serve your mission as well. Week in, week out, help us, Lord Jesus. We lean not on our own strength or our own understanding, but acknowledge your ways. Father, we ask you, direct our paths, send us out. Help us be fruitful and faithful in our city. And as we come to the table this morning, Come and receive the only perfect missionary that ever walked the earth. Jesus, who laid his life down for us. A missionary sent to another world, left heaven, came and felt the pain and the shame and the brokenness of our world, and loved us to death. Resurrected to new life and sent his spirit to us. We come with open hands, we confess our sinfulness, we confess our selfishness, we confess our shame and our fear, and we ask the body of Christ to be counted for us and the blood of Christ to to cover us, that we would be in Christ and be new. Father, we eat this meal remembering your grace. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.